Donald Trump is on the march. Just minutes ago, he signed an executive order that could blow up Obamacare, and the left is going nuts. We're really sorry to hear that. We hate when the left goes nuts. We want them to be as happy as they can possibly be. I'm lying. Serial abuser Steven Crowder will come on and talk about Harvey Weinstein, <laughs> if, if we can get, get him parole. And Harvey Weinstein has been, he's spoken out for himself about his, these encounters he keeps having with women in the shower, and he even uh, released a video to show it's all very perfectly harmless. Here it is. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Man, this, this week shot by. I mean, it, I cannot believe it is already. The Clavenless weekend is already upon. No, but no, it's not. No, it's not. Another kingdom, if, if, we are, if the devil does not stop us, another kingdom will be released tomorrow. Me and Michael Knowles have put together a fictional podcast, a story. Knowles performs it. I wrote it, and we're releasing it on Ricochet because it's full, filled with bad language and sex and violence, and so we didn't want to put it here where we know that decent people come, you know? <laughs> That's also, on Tuesday, October 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, our second episode of The Conversation is coming up, and it features, it says right here, The Daily Wire's own Andrew Clavin. Oh, wait, that's me. It's hosted by Alicia Krauss. I get to see Alicia Krauss. I love Alicia Krauss. And all the mysteries of the universe will be solved, and all of your life's questions will be answered as we live stream on both the Daily Wire Facebook page and YouTube channel. Everyone can watch, but only subscribers can ask the questions. And as you know, when I answer your questions, the answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life every now and again for the better. Uh, you know, I have to actually, you know, I started this uh, this week, I read this thing by a guy named Andrew Ortega. He put up a, a, a beautiful, beautiful Facebook post about how he had found Christ and suddenly he was so happy and all this stuff. And he said he had read all this stuff, even Andrew Clavin, and I was kind of teasing him. And he, he, went, on, he went on and did a podcast, his own pod. I don't know, it's called The Rational Rise. He's Australian. And he went on and he held up my book and he was, he was laughing about it too, but he said he meant it as a compliment. And he, he said this about my book, The Great Good Thing. Listen to this. I found this actually very touching. Honestly, the, the internal experience that came after finishing this book and hearing about the epiphanies and the awakening of this man who I believe thinks very, very similarly to me from the way he describes it and who was staunchly rational and really didn't want to go to these places that seem irrational, um, to, to experience his journey must have been the final push for me because after I read this, I had another massive spiritual experience and, um, and it lasted for days. And, um, and that was when I finally said to myself, all right, Jesus, I'm yours, you know? Read my book, had a massive spiritual experience that lasted for days. Do not let this happen to you, the great good thing. But enough about me, let's talk about watches. Movement is making these beautiful, beautiful watches, and they are 
they're just a fraction of the price of this kind of watch, this elegant watch that you would find in a store. It would cost you, I don't know, it would probably cost you up to $400, maybe even more. These start at 95 bucks, and they really are nice. They're really nice. Uh, movement is spelled M-V-M-T. That's how they save money is they leave the valves out, and that's why they can sell the watches <laughs> so cheap, or maybe it's something else. I, I, I have one everywhere I go. People notice it. It is really flashy. It's not flashy. It's very, uh, it's very modern, very modern kind of uh, a very uh, simple, basic, beautiful uh, things. It was made by two guys. These two guys were just sitting around. They have the exact same problem I have, which is I love timepieces, but I, it's just not what I want to spend all my money on, you know? I mean, I, it's like, it, 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 there's just something about it. It stops me. I think like, that's ah, just too much. The way they charge for watches is just too much, but I do love a good watch. Go on their site, Movement, MVMT.com. Go on their site and you can get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns. MVMT.com slash Andrew. Movement.com slash Andrew. And that'll get you the 15% off. And it'll also tell them that we sent you, which is really helpful for us. The watch has a beautiful, clean design. It makes a great fashion statement and it won't cost you anything like it would if you went and got it in the store. Now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to movement.com slash Andrew, mvmt.com slash Andrew. Join the movement or join the without the vowels. Uh, so, you know, this thing with Trump uh, was, just happened. It happened as I was driving in. I can't give you a really deep analysis, but he has signed this executive order that will open up, that he's paves the way for opening up the health care market, which the left says will destroy Obamacare and which the right says will destroy Obamacare. But the right says it with a big smile on their face. Let's hear just a little bit of his uh, speech this morning. This order takes first steps to make it easier for businesses to help their workers afford high quality and more flexible health care through reimbursement accounts. With these actions, we are moving toward lower costs and more options in the health care market and taking crucial steps towards saving the American people from the nightmare of Obamacare. Today is only the beginning. In the coming months, we plan to take new measures to provide our people with even more relief and more freedom. And by the way, on another subject, that will include massive tax cuts. We are going to get massive tax cuts and I believe even Senator Rand Paul, and I know Virginia, Greg, I think you're with us, but the whole country is looking for these massive tax cuts, and we will get them. And we are going to also pressure Congress very strongly to finish the repeal and the replace of Obamacare once and for all. We will have great health care in our country. So basically, as I say, this is happening. This ha happened as I was driving into work, so I don't have a, you know, can't give you a full analysis, but basically what he's saying is they're starting the process, a study process, to allow small businesses to get together and get their own kinds of uh, health care plans that don't fulfill all the requirements of Obamacare to be able to buy health insurance over state lines. Uh, all these things that kind of open up the market, and what the left is saying is that, oh, this is a sabotage of Obamacare. First of all, that's the first joke, that it's a sabotage of Obamacare, because Obamacare is, is imploding. It's going, the 
prices are going through the roof, but they don't care about that because the point of Obamacare is to force healthy young people to buy insurance they don't need so that they can cut down the prices for people who are older and sick, right, and have what they call pre-existing conditions, which is it's silly. You can't insure somebody against a pre-existing condition. That's not how the insurance business works. So basically, they put this mandate on buying health care where they tax you, as they call it, they penalize you if you don't buy the health care, and that's supposed to force young people to buy stuff they don't need. Because what do you need when you're a young, healthy young person? You know, you don't need a, a zillion dollars in health insurance right away. What you want is catastrophic insurance, so if something terrible happens, you can get through it and you, you won't be uh, caught in the lurch. So what they were trying to do is get every young person to pay for, you know, birth control, and if guys were paying for birth control they didn't need, and all kinds of things that you didn't need. And and this will open up that market, and especially the thing that where you can buy it across state lines opens up the market. So what, what the left is saying is this is horrible because now these young people will be able to get the kind of insurance they need, but their money won't be going to these older or sicker people. And they're actually, they actually are saying, you know, now the healthiest Americans will have to pay less. Well, that, that's how insurance works. I mean, Obamacare was built to fail. Obamacare was built to fail so that people would say we need single payer, which is government health care. So this, so think about it like this. You know, I, I have problems with all this stuff being done by executive action. I really hope that Congress comes along and, and backs this up with some actual laws. I didn't like it when Obama does it. I don't like it when Trump does it, when he's essentially uh, legislating with his pen and his phone. I don't like that. But, but think about this. If a law collapses because you make people more free, the law was inherently bad. Okay, that's, that's the answer. So when the le whatever the left says, whatever it complains about, if a law collapses because you make people more free, the law was bad. If the law collapses because you give people more choice, that's bad. If the law collapses because you give, let, allow competition and you allow prices to go down, the law was bad. So the Democrats know the law is bad. The Democrat know, Democrats know the law stinks. But what they're going to be saying is, oh, now, now Obamacare is failing because Trump uh, sabotaged it, and this is terrible because the poor and the sick are going to be penalized. But the fact is, more freedom is a good thing. And so if the law fails because you get more freedom, then the law was bad to begin with. So I don't want to beat a dead movie producer, but I, I have to talk a little bit more about Harvey Weinstein, especially before uh, Stephen Crowder comes on, because I want to talk to him about it, too. And uh, if, if uh, we can extradite him, I think we have the extradition process is uh, underway, and we'll hope to bring him back from where he is uh, in Europe, uh, I think with Roman Polanski hiding out. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. Yeah. I, I've been watching the reaction, and what really disturbs me is the way the right is reacting to the Harvey Weinstein sex scandal, because this is the way the left wins the culture even when they lose. What they do is they get us to accuse them of hypocrisy, and by accusing them of hypocrisy, what happens is we buy into their premises. We buy into their premises. I don't buy into any of the premises of the Harvey Weinstein sex scandal, that this is a feminist issue. I, as I said, it's not. And I'll show you what I mean. But first, we did have, finally, the conscience of the moral conscience of the nation when it comes to sexual abuse did finally come out and make a statement, the definitive moral statement about Harvey Weinstein. Here's Hillary Clinton. I was, I was just sick. I was shocked. I was appalled. Um, it was something that was just intolerable.
in every way. And, you know, like so many people who have come forward and spoken out, this was a different side of a person who uh, I and many others had known uh, in the past. Would you have called him a friend? Yes, I probably would have. Um, and, and so would so many others. You know, people in democratic politics for a couple of decades appreciated his help and support. And I think these stories coming to light now and people who never spoke out before having the courage to speak out um, just clearly demonstrates uh, that this behavior that uh, he engaged in cannot be tolerated. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of the way I feel about it, too, because, you know, he asked Fareed Zakaria, who's looking at Hillary Clinton as if, like, an angel has arrived from heaven, he asked the question, would you have considered him a friend? That's tough journalism for the left, because the real question is, weren't you married to a guy just like this, and you hid it, and you covered up for it? Also, I also have to play this. Harvey Weinstein himself spoke out as he's walking the paparazzi are surrounding him. And I, I just love this whole interchange because the entire structure that has pr protected Harvey Weinstein all these years, for like, it's like 30 years he's been doing this, is in display as he talks to the press, his obvious pals. Don't follow. Don't follow. I'm being good. Okay. Harvey, are you doing okay? I'm hanging it. I'm trying my best. Thank you, man. Bye. Thanks, guys. guys. Don't follow. We're glad to see you're doing okay. Thank you. Guys, I'm not doing okay. You're not? I'm trying. I gotta get help, guys. You know what? We all make mistakes. Second chance, I hope. Okay? No problem. Thanks, guys. And you know what? I've always been loyal to you guys. Awesome. Not like those who treat you like I've been a good guy. Have a good one. Thank you. Hope you feel better. Get some help, man. Thank you. Yeah, I've been a good guy. I treat not like those other guys who treat you bad. I treat you good, don't I, buddy? Don't I? Hey, get some help, pal. You know, I, I, I just want you to transpose this. We all make mistakes, second chances, right? I mean, the guy is accused of rape, multiple rapes. I just want you to think about for a minute some 20-year-old black kid from a poor neighborhood accused of multiple rapes, multiple rapes, multiple um, molestations, multiple you know times forcing himself on women. And I want you to picture that young black guy standing in front of the judge and saying, well, we all make mistakes, right? I mean, it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be flying to Paris for sex addiction, uh, you know, therapy. And it's like, so, so I mean, this is really, that, that whole thing with it, you know, with the guys shouting to him, get some help, pal, get some help. It's like, yeah, uh, go to jail. I think, I think jail is where you got to go. Here's the thing that bothers me about the right's reaction. The right loves to catch, we all love to catch each other, the right and the left both. We love to catch each other in hypocrisy, and it's lots of fun, and I don't want to kill anybody's fun. But the problem is a lot of times we're accepting certain premises of the left, and the, we're allowing the left to own the culture. And I've, I want to show two clips that illustrate this. Each one illustrates a different way in which we're allowing the left to claim our culture and to 
to basically we're accepting their ideas of what is right, what is wrong. First, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, as we now know, is the conscience of the nation. We now know CNN told us he's the conscience of the nation. And every time Jimmy Kimmel sheds a tear, an angel gets his wings and a new law has to be passed. You know, every every tear that falls from Jimmy Kimmel's eye, you know, becomes uh, is written into the Constitution. So to get back at Jimmy Kimmel, they put out the fact, and Jimmy Kimmel started out doing what was it called the guy show, the man show, the man show. Yeah. And so it was about this kind of, you know, let's let's all be kind of loudmouth, ordinary guys together, kind of giving it to feminism a little bit. And here he is doing a routine. I think that I can't tell whether this is from his show or from the man show. And he does this routine where he goes, it's what they call in the business MOS, man on the street. He goes out except it's women on the street. And he goes out and he gets women to feel him up, basically, because he's got something in his pants. And can they tell what it is? And here's a clip of this. I've stuffed something in my pants, and you're allowed to feel around on the outside of the pants. You have 10 seconds to then guess what is in my pants. You should use two hands. Two hands. <laughs> Maybe it would be easier if you put your mouth on it. How old are you? 18. Okay, good. You sure of that? Because <laughs> uh, Uncle Jimmy doesn't need to do time. <laughs> you're going to make a fine wife. I think I wore the rubber underpants. And your guess is? Vibrator. A vibrator? No, it is actually a zucchini with a rubber band on it. All right. Now, here's my pride. I, I know you'll probably fall over dead to hear me defending Jimmy Kimmel. But Jimmy Kimmel is a comedian. He is operating, operating in a transgressive space. He's allowed to do this. This is actually perfectly good satire. None of the women are being forced to do anything. They don't have to do it. You know, they're, they're obviously laughing and giggling, and it's a joke, and they get it. It's a joke. When we accept the idea that we can't make jokes, then we are the ones who get hit because it's our jokes that are constantly being attacked. Whenever I, you know, whenever I do a monologue, whenever I do a series of jokes, I'm always the guy, oh, you know, it's, a, it's an old trick of the left. What they do is they take something you said satirically and then they, they make you answer it as if it were a serious remark. So all the funny sexist jokes I make, all the, you know, racial, racial jokes I make are suddenly, I'm a racist, I'm a bad guy, I don't like women and all this. And then your answer, hey, I was joking, it's satire, sounds very weak. So when we do this, we are actually setting ourselves up for an attack. Jimmy Kimmel has been an absolute pain in the neck for the last month or so with his weeping and his, you know, fighting with Donald Trump. And it's not funny and it's boorish and it's all kinds of things. This is perfectly good comedy. Is it trashy comedy? Yes. Is it, is it that funny? No. But does he have the right to do it? Should he be called out on it? I don't think so. I don't think that's a problem. Here's another one where a guy is being called out. But he's being called out for the wrong reasons, and this is the one that really bothers me. The whole premise that of feminism is that men are not supposed to be the strong ones. Men are not supposed to have some responsibility to protect women. Men are, you know, men and women are perfectly equal, and this it drives me crazy. I am an anti-feminist. I am not somebody, I, you know, obviously I am for people's rights. I'm an individualist, as I always say, with a Venn diagram, where the circle of feminism and the circle of individualism meet in a Venn diagram. I am for feminism in that sliver where we are supporting individual rights because I'm an individualist and a humanist, not because I'm a feminist. But men and women are different. They are the two different kinds. That's the two different kinds of people there are. There are men and there are women, everybody else pretty much the same. So I, I'm, I believe that feminism is a degrading, hateful, mean, divisive philosophy that has 
poisoned a lot of the relationships in, in ordinary people's lives. I mean, that's the thing. You know, some woman at the New York Times goes around and mouths off, but it trickles down so that when you go on a date, suddenly you're in a fight and you don't know why, okay? So Ben Affleck is, is now being hit. The actress Rose McGowan, uh, he said he didn't know about Harvey Weinstein, and obviously Ben Affleck is one of the boys, and he knows about Harvey Weinstein. And Rose McGowan called him out on this and said, I heard you say that you knew about this, so you're lying. So Twitter banned Rose McGowan, okay? That is, which is utterly amazing to me. It's utterly amazing. They banned the actress for calling out Ben Affleck. But then, of course... They pile onto Ben Affleck and they start to say, hey, you know, you, you've done all this thing. One, one woman, a makeup lady named Anna Marie Tendler, she's the wife of John Mulaney, a, very, a funny comedian. I like John Mulaney. Uh, and he says, she says he grabbed her at an awards show. And they're hitting him for this obviously drunken interview he did, uh, I think it was on MTV, with a woman named Hilaire Burton. And he basically, you know, he's making out with her during the interview. Let's play a little clip. Let's do it. We can do the interview like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Sweet, man. <laughs> That's a lovely perfume you have on. What's oh, the story? You. <laughs> what do you mean? Usually I stink? No, usually I, I, I fume intoxicating. It's very wonderful. Well, you usually show a lot more cleavishness. What's, what's know, the story? Why are you covering it up today? Well, it's Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning? I've never stopped you before from getting the t's out. How are you trying to fool Sunday morning? You could be, be in church, you should have that rack on display. God, what a slob. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was not Hilaire Burton. That was a different, uh, that was a different interview where he's feeling of a different woman. Uh, you know, but I actually want to talk about this interview for a minute because the woman is obviously playing along. And Hilaire Burton said at the time she was a kid and she laughed to keep from crying, right? So... My question is this, if the woman is playing along, if the woman is laughing, why is it wrong? We, you can see that that's a, a, you know, it's a slobby, piggish way to treat anybody, obviously, but you're treating a, a lady like that. Why is it wrong for him to do that? Why is it wrong for, for Ben Affleck to do it? If she's playing along, if she's laughing, if she's not protesting, if she's not saying help police, why is it wrong for Ben Affleck to do that? Well, it's wrong because he's a man and he has a responsibility to take care of her a little bit. He has a responsibility to protect her. It's wrong because feminism is wrong. If feminism were right, he'd be in the clear. He'd be totally in the clear. What's the difference? What's the difference? She's equal, he's equal. If she's not going to punch him like in the movies and he's not going to fly over, you know, what, wh why should he stop? Why should he stop? He should stop because he should be a gentleman, not a feminist. I mean, this is the problem. You remove gentlemen's, gentlemen from the equation, all that's left is Harvey Weinstein and the guys who are too weak to stand up to feminists and protect women from guys like Harvey Weinstein. So that is one of the things that I really dislike about the way we accept the premises of the left in our protest because we're, so, we're in such a rush to make the left feel bad, to point them out, to get them on their hypocrisy, that we accept the things that they're saying. I do not accept feminism. I do not accept it. I believe that there should be gentlemen and there should be ladies. And if you are not a lady, you're not going to get, you're not going to find gentlemen. And if you're not a gentleman, you know, you're going to be uh, absconding on your duty as a man to take care of women. <laughs> That's, I'm going to stop right there because I'll, after this, I know I'll get in trouble. But so now the other thing about this is, of course, the press has now been caught out. Everybody's picking on Donald Trump. And after we talked to, has, have we got Crowder yet? 
Almost, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have Crowder in a minute. You know, everyone's talking about uh, Donald Trump making these comments about NBC, but NBC, meanwhile, has been co has been caught essentially covering this up. We played that clip of Ronan Farrow. Ronan Farrow works for NBC, but they wouldn't run. Not only would they not run his story about uh, Harvey Weinstein, but it's coming out now. It was in a lot of different things. This is from the Huffington Post about they just made the obstacles to his running these stories so, so hard for him to get through that he couldn't get the story out there, even though he had the information. And now they're claiming, now they're claiming that he didn't have the information, he didn't get it. Let me bring on Crowder. Is Crowder there? Because Crowder, you know, can only last a while until his meds run out, and then, you know, he starts to, <laughs> he starts to break away. <laughs> that's why, that's why you see the brick walls behind him. That's because it's harder for him to escape. Crowder, how you doing? <laughs> They used to be padded. Thank you for pointing that out. Uh, a couple of things. Yeah. I hate to fact check you, but I was I I was in Montreal when that interview happened. It's like it's like the French Canadian uh, music really? place, and all those women were were whores. So they were, <laughs> let's start. With, um, it was well well known. That doesn't make anything acceptable at all. I, so please, I meant. I remember found glory went into a porta potty with a uh, a VJ. It's like what they call them here, but they were hosts there uh, for Music Plus, and they came out and everyone clapped because she had sex with a, a band in a porta potty. Like it's kind of Montreal practice. Really, this was well known. Yeah, the real problem is he was married. But when's when is the next uh, train to Montreal? That's a... <laughs> uh, quite Sounds like a great place. That's. <laughs> it, it is the women. They're well, well, they're well, well known. Uh, really, in, in really. Montreal. Yes, All right. Absolutely. Well, that's good. Then, so, then to hell with them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I. That's what I say. But you're right. You needed to be a gentleman, and uh, I mean, to me, what really bothers me about this: two things. John Mulaney's a pain. No one kicked Harvey Weinstein's ass. A couple of things here. No one kicked his. Brad ass. Pitt. That's Brad Pitt at least pointed at him. You know, I mean. He did, yeah, exactly. He said, "Did you? Uh, did you rape uh, my girlfriend?" <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. And he walked away. <laughs> And then, everyone, and then he sells a workout plan in men's health while he gets a leg double for Troy. I just want to throw that guy off a cliff. So, okay, this happened. No one kicks Harvey Weinstein's ass. That really bothers me. I, I'll, I'll tell you this. If someone, gets, if someone does that to my wife, uh, it's going to get physical. Yep. It's one of the few yep. instances where, like, or, do you believe in violence? Uh, if someone gropes my wife, uh, yes, it's the only language a guy abusing his power understands. I, he has money. He can fight with lawyers. You kick his I'm ass. I'm with you 100%. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it's a professional fighter who I know is going to kick my ass, I'm going to make him wish he picked someone else. That's it. Like, he's going to lose an eye, his teeth getting messed up, something. You know what I mean? At that point, it's the principle. You just have to say, this is going to hurt, and do it anyway. <laughs> uh, so that really bothers me. And then what really bothers me about Ben Affleck is, because I remember this clip. He came out, and he was saying, I can't believe what Weinstein, you know, what Harvey did, and this is really sickening, and we need to put more women in positions of power. But he did this while he knew that clip was out there. It, did he think the internet doesn't exist? Did he think that YouTube wasn't a thing? You know, it's like the kid who's caught it, when you have a group of friends and you all did something wrong and you're, you're all like, okay, we're caught dead to rights, we're about to fess up. And I had a, a friend, his name, his name was Josh, and he would just lie. And it was astounding. You were like, you, you know they know you're lying. He's like, well, listen, there's six of us and the odds are maybe maybe I'll get out. So I'm just gonna lie until the end I, of it. That was Ben Affleck. I suspect when Affleck uh, sobers up, he doesn't remember what, what he did, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think every time I, every time I see him, off film when he's not in a movie, he's smashed. Yeah, yeah, he's smashed. And uh, he was, remember the J-Lo, he didn't just cheat on Jennifer Lopez. He was performing sex acts in the strip club on the strip. Like, it's well, well known. I think that also happened in Montreal. It was just just the most, like, the kind of stuff that if you were to see 
on an HBO show. But all right, let's fast forward. This is a little seedy even for HBO. That was Ben Affleck's life. Him, his brother, Weinstein. These, it is just, these are the worst human beings on the planet. And anyone who has standards is a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite, I'm a hypocrite. Everyone's a hypocrite, I get that. But it's really hard to be a hypocrite, first off, when you have no standards, and Hollywood has set the bar so low, we have open marriages. Who am I to judge? 100% divorce rate. Three-year-old wants to be trans, fine. So to be a hypocrite when you have standards that low is a marvel, <laughs> and they still manage to do it. And then yeah. they make a living off of being hypocrites. And I will tell you what, I'm not victim-blaming, but Meryl Streep, Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelina, every single person who didn't come out and simultaneously was thanking Weinstein in their award speeches, they acted as recruitment tools for Weinstein. And, and that bothers and me. It bothers me, too, when they start to call them heroes, you know, like 20 years later. Oh, yeah, he groped me 20 years ago. What a hero you are to come out, you know, now that you've got your career, now that every, you know, you didn't risk anything. I mean, yeah. Do you notice, too, not a single one of them is ever like, yeah, you know what, I had to, I, you know what, I had to, uh, I'm trying to think of this show, I'm trying to think of the verbiage. I had to perform uh, favors for Harvey Weinstein, but I got my Oscar, so bite me. <laughs> do you realize that everyone comes out and they're like, but I didn't do it. Really? You've got three Oscars. You didn't do it. There wasn't something going on in a dark movie theater in Midtown. You didn't do anything 20 years later. You stayed quiet. Sorry, I'm not buying it. I have a problem with people who come out while they, again, if they just said, hey, listen, he groped me, and I, like Heather Graham said, he groped me, in a, he, he came on to me in a hotel, he didn't actually grope me, he didn't rape me, but he re-invited me to his hotel, and I said, of course not, that's it. But someone who says, he sexually assaulted me, and we go back to the, to the tail of the tape, we're going, hold on a second, here you are at the Golden Globes thanking him specifically during that time, there are girls watching you, Gwyneth Paltrow, saying, how do I become a Gwyneth Paltrow? And they're writing down the name Weinstein. So there is some problem. <laughs> you know, Kate Beckinsale said he, she walked out and he couldn't remember whether he assaulted her. When he, The next time he met her, he said, did I try anything with you? And she, he didn't remember. But, you know, I, I, usually assault, I usually assault women. Did I forget in your case? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I think you're the rule rather than the, the exception. But if you come back, I'll, 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 make, I'll make it right. right. <laughs> so now the other thing I have, to, I have to ask you about, the only time I ever think about you is when I'm watching, when I'm watching late night comedy and each one of these guys not only looks like the guy next to him, but has the exact same opinion, the exact same set of jokes, and they don't even tell jokes anymore. Does this, no. does this make you crazy at all? I mean, you are a genuine, like, you're a genuine professional comedian and actually funny. Well, thank but, you. Uh, I appreciate that. And here's the thing, when people are like, oh, you know, funny is subjective, but someone can say that, but they can't say that Owen Benjamin, who's here all week and who helps write, like, they can't say he's not a comedian. He's one of the most, you know, well-known headlining comedians across the country. He just happens to have recently come out of the closet as conservative. So we, we have a lot of talented people working here. I can't take credit for, for all the success, but, you know, it used to make me more crazy until I realized now that it's just this unbelievable opportunity because other people were saying, I don't watch late night. I just, I, I, I watch Crowder instead. Mm. And so we said, you know what, we've kind of realize this is the show that a lot of these people are going to bed with because listen you're you're brilliant and Ben Shapiro is obviously he's he's the best in his uh, his his vertical if you if you want to learn kind of how to think and express these conservative ideas Ben is so good and this is what I do um and uh yeah so so a lot of people 
it, it, they connected with it. And so now we see it as a big opportunity. Every time Jimmy Kimmel gets up and cries because a dentist shot a lion, I'm like, well, okay, that means we're going to gain 20,000 new subscribers. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, I did, I think I told you when I went down to do a Mark Stein show, they brought me down uh, from Canada because I wanted to have hit some hookers on the way down. And uh, <laughs> I got to the, no, I actually, I did not know any of this about Montreal. I'm so excited now. Uh, but when, when I came down and I got to the, uh, you know, the place where they take your passport. I handed the guy my passport and he said, oh, you're on the Crowder show. <laughs> I thought, you know, we need to build a wall on the Canadian border too, because if this, <laughs> they're letting guys through after they knew I was on your show, they would let, still let me through. I think there's but something it's wrong. It's funny. We, we have a bit, it's a double-edged sword, right? Cause you have people who want to kill you and try and find your house and try and dox you. So we have all that stuff. But, um, you know, Owen Benjamin has just been appearing on the show pretty frequently. You know, we have rotating guests and kind of in this third chair and he's we're actually doing this bit tonight. It's based on his last show, A Positive Heckler. And like the people who are fans of the show are really fans of this show. Yeah. But he says it's getting distracting. We tell a joke, the guy's like, I love what you're doing. <laughs> I really support you. That's tough to work with. Loud and <laughs> so, so you and I are actually one of the, two of the few conservatives who actually have worked in Hollywood. I mean, all conservatives talk about Hollywood, but you and I have actually worked in Hollywood. Is Hollywood dead? Is Hollywood finished? You, you know what? That's an interesting question. Um, I think there are some there are some some obstacles here that we didn't foresee, or certainly not to be as severe as they are. With you know, it, it, there was this idea that uh, okay, now there are going to be no more gatekeepers because there's YouTube, there's Facebook, there's social media, and we can create these this programming and get it out there. But now we're seeing that they are every bit as left and they're every bit as bad in trying to set up girders to keep you from succeeding. Mm -hmm. So um, the difference is. They've already created the monster. The difference is like you, YouTube is going to be really hard to take down a, a channel of mine, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of millions of views and over a million subscribers here by the end of the month. It's, it looks bad. So they have to find ways to tweak the algorithm. And that's what you see with James O'Keefe. So I do think the entertainment industry is this race to the middle. You know, Jimmy Fallon is lucky to get 2.5 million yeah. viewers. You know, Letterman, when he was losing to Leno, was getting 6 million. You know, Carson was American Idol, right? 20, 30 million, depending on the night. So um, everyone's kind of racing to the middle where it's so fragmented. People can find what they want. But I think we see media and the entertainment industry it, kind of in its death throes here, reaching out to, they, they were late to the YouTube. They were late to Facebook. I will say this, even with Fox News. I have clips of me on Fox News that Fox News removed from my YouTube channel because they didn't think YouTube was a thing <laughs> when I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're desperately going, oh, where's the capital? The capital is the eyeballs, right? YouTube has yet to make the money. And they're going, we need, we need, we need to get some of this capital. And now Fox News is saying, we, we need to be on YouTube. And now, you know, the Weinsteins are saying, we need to be on YouTube. Plus, I can open my direct messages. There's some hot, hot chicks there. So they're all trying to get in on new media. And they're working alongside basically three big companies. That's Google. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, if they get their feet in the door, media might have another lifespan in a different form, uh -huh. which I hope they don't. I'm doing my best to just drop the Moabs on them where I can. <laughs> and I'm, I'm anticipating some return fire uh, when we cross this million subscriber mark, because we have been poking our finger in the chest of Jimmy Kimmel and Trevor Noah and Samantha B and Vox for so long. And like this show is like Voldemort. They never <laughs> mentioned the name, but at some point, they're gonna have to answer, and uh, yeah, you'll have more viewers than they have, basically. They don't. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think. Do you have any idea how much money Vox has? 
It's insane. They have so much money and they make such crap. Like it is so easy to rebut. And I know Ben Shapiro is smarter than I am, but I'm pretty good in the realm of debate. And what I do is I just source things meticulously because Vox doesn't. And then I look at Samantha B. And her source is Vox. She's bringing up Vox. I'm like, hold on, I went back to the Vox story, but there's no source in that story. You're sourcing a non-source. This is media. This is this is the entertainment industry. Yeah. They have gotten by so long being so mediocre. And I do think, I hate to say this, because you're just such, I mean, you're an unbelievably uh, talented writer. Oh, and uh, I've had the door closed in my face for being conservative. And I know it bothers you when other people come out and say like, well, I didn't get a job because I'm conservative. Like, no, you had a typo in the very first phrase. That was kind of a, like, you need to work a little bit <laughs> yeah. more. Same with Owen just got dropped by his agent for saying there are no three-year-old trans children. That was so he got dropped by his agent by for that? At CAA, yeah. And then this week, CAA is reeling because they were inviting the ladies to the Weinstein's hotel. <laughs> oh, it's, it's providential. But I do hate it when conservatives just use it as an excuse saying, oh, it's because of my beliefs. But I've genuinely experienced that. And Me I too, do sure. think that we're seeing now in the industry, you were not allowed to be, you mean to tell me there's no one, no one on the right, let's exclude myself, because I know that would seem self-aggrandizing here, but there's no one on the right who would be willing or capable to do a better job than Larry Wilmore, Samantha Bee, or Jordan Klepper? Get out, get, get out of yeah. here. No one believes yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Steven Crowder, the Louder with Crowder show. I'm glad uh, you could get the parole and come on, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll bail you out next time. <laughs> Technically, it's furlough, but thank you. <laughs> All right, I'll see you later, pal. <laughs> Uh, he is really funny when he, when he goes on. He just he cracks me up. Uh, all right. Fi finally, before we get to stuff I like and say goodbye and let, well, remember, not the not the Clavenless weekend, right? Not because we have one more day of another kingdom with uh, me and Knowles, and we'll we'll get you through, and then all hell breaks loose. But I do have to say that Donald Trump is under attack for a couple of remarks he made about the news media. The NBC ran a story saying, uh, it's part of this whole thing, Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, called him a moron, they say, and he says that's not true. Tillerson hasn't quite denied it. He kind of denied it late and all this stuff. You know, there's two big guys. I'm sure they call each other all kinds of things, but, I, you know, who cares? But, but Trump made this remark about NBC because NBC had a report that he wanted to, uh, he wanted 10-time increase in our nuclear arsenal. And apparently... He denies this, Mattis denies it, and Trump said this about NBC. I never discussed increasing it. I want it in perfect shape. That was just fake news by NBC, uh, which gives a lot of fake news lately. Uh, no, I never discussed. I think somebody said, I want 10 times the nuclear weapons that we have right now. Right now, we have so many nuclear weapons. I want them in perfect condition, perfect shape. That's the only thing I've ever discussed. Uh, General Mattis put out a statement or is putting out a statement saying that that was fake news, that it was just mentioned that way. And it's frankly disgusting the way the press is able to write whatever they want to write. And people should look into it. So he doubled down on this. He put out a tweet that said, network news has become so partisan, distorted, and fake that licenses must be challenged and, if appropriate, revoked, not fair to the public. You know, I, I completely oppose this, although I have to say sometimes when I watch the late night comedians, I do think, why are they allowed to use the public airways to just air their political views and there's nobody else on there? The FCC doesn't license the networks. The FCC licenses local uh, 
local outlets, I believe. So if they were revoking things, they'd have to be revoking them one at a time. I'm basically completely and entirely against this, and I think that I don't, I don't really worry as much about what Trump says. I know it's kind of a weird way to treat the president, but he does go off. He mouths off all the time, and half the time it doesn't mean anything. But, you know, it was really interesting to me that Rush Limbaugh, who is, of course, the, the Mac daddy of all right-wing commentators and deserves to be because he is uh, just so very, very good at what he does. But he came out, and he's a big, big NFL fan, but he came out and said he was a little worried listening to Trump flog the NFL. Here's what Rush said. There's a part of this story that's starting to make me nervous. And it's this. I am very uncomfortable with the president of the United States being able to dictate the behavior and power, or the behavior and, and all of anybody. That's not where this should be coming from. Trump is continually tweeting, and I know what he's doing, and I understand why he's doing it, and his motives are pure, don't misunderstand. But I don't think that it is useful or helpful for any employee anywhere to be forced to do something because the government says they must. That scares the hell out of me. This should come from the league, as it looks like Goodell wants it to. This should, the owners should be demanding this, not the president. And now, of course, the owners are starting to demand it, and Goodell is saying it, uh, it should happen. But, but here's the thing. I mean, obviously, if, if Rush is worried about free speech from the right, then we all have to be worried about it. There's, there's no gain saying that. And it, obviously, I, I feel differently about the NFL. I feel that, he, that Trump became the voice of the nation, speaking out against a tremendous industry and the people who are dissatisfied with seeing their athletes, seeing their actors, seeing their movie stars diss the country continually and constantly that Rush used, uh, Rush, that Trump used the bully pulpit to speak up for them. So I didn't have as big a problem with that. I do have a problem with the NBC stuff. It's ridiculous. Uh, NBC can run all the stupid news they want, and I still don't think the government should get involved. But Daniel Henninger in the Wall Street Journal ran a piece today saying that nobody would mistake President Trump for uh, James Madison, who helped get the right to free speech into the Constitution. But he says Trump will be remembered as one of the country's foremost practitioners of the right to free speech, and less appreciated is that the Trump administration may go down as a significant defender of the First Amendment when it most needed defending. And then he goes on to talk about how Attorney General Jeff Sessions has announced that uh, he's going to, that the Justice Department is going to be fighting to keep free speech free on college campuses. Uh, they've already, um, they've already filed an amicus brief, brief where they, the Justice Appointment, ah, Justice Department joins the fight against Georgia Gwinnett College, which created free speech zones or public forum areas requiring a college-approved reservation to have free speech. A recent Brookings serving survey, Henninger goes on to say, shows that current college students, only 39% of current college students think that hate speech is constitutionally protected. So the left, you know, obviously I will not be lectured by the left on what free speech is and who is defending it because they have done everything they can to erode our free speech rights. Trump goes off, he says dumb things. He, sometimes he just says dumb things. This thing about NBC is one of them. But I do feel that D Donald Trump, our president, also has a right to free speech and he has done nothing to 
hamper the free speech of the NFL except express his opinion. I think he has the right to do that. I hate to disagree with Trump because he is 98.5% correct most of the time, and I'm only 100% correct. Oh, wait. Uh, all right, let's stop. I like. <laughs> I got to tell you about a book I read, a novel I read called Submission. And Submission came out in 2015. It is by, it's the third novel I've read by the French writer whose name for an American is unpronounceable and unspellable. His name is Michel, and I pronounce it Huilebeck, but when I hear it, it's pronounced Huilebeck, Huilebeck, or something. Uh, he's a French guy, who knows, is Michel. <laughs> so I'm gonna call him Huilebeck because that's the only way I know how to pronounce it. And Almost every book he writes is the same, and it always is. This book came out on the day. It was released on the day of the Charlie Hebdo killings. Remember, the Muslims went in and killed Charlie Hebdo, uh, like 12 guys in the Charlie Hebdo magazine because they were making fun of Muhammad and making fun of Muslims. And this book came out on that day, and, of course, it created a firestorm, became an instantaneous bestseller. Willebeck writes the same book over and over again, which is about dissolute Frenchmen, being dissolute, sleeping with everything, everyone they can sleep with, getting drunk with everybody, you know, more sex, more sex, more sex, and then Muslims start killing people. This one, though, is a little bit different, or at least he has mastered the form. This is a book about the political takeover of France by an Islamic candidate. So no laws are broken, there's no violence, nothing happens, it is just an election, you know, because they have that those parliamentary things where people have to form parties, and it's just an election where an Islamic candidate winds up uh, running France. And what is so devastating about this book is how realistic it is. And I, I, it's a, a literary novel. I read it in translation. I can't read French, but I read it in translation. It's a literary novel, so it's not an easy read. It's not a mystery story or something like this. It is incredible, deep, incredibly deep. It has an incredible bite of reality to it. And to watch this guy in his empty Western world without faith, Without, he can't believe. He can't believe in the Christian belief anymore. He can't. He's immersed in literature, but it's kind of an empty, an empty immersion because he's not finding anything spiritual there. His relationships with women are purely sexual. It really hardly matters whether he's sleeping with a prostitute or whether he's sleeping with a woman who loves him. It doesn't really matter to him. And Islam has. It, it is he. Hillebeck has called it the stupidest religion. But it has those elements of spirituality and respect for men and women, you know, and men having their differences. It has those things, even if it has them in a sort of horrifying form. And so he's basically showing you that Islam is winning the argument, which is more horrific than they're winning through terrorism. He's basically showing that Islam, a an oppressive especially as it's practiced in this novel and as we've seen it practiced in many places, is, is an oppressive, anti-female, anti-gay, anti-human religion. And yet, because it has the spirit in it, because it has some connection to God, it somehow has more emotive power and more conviction than anything the West has got left. And it's a terrifying, terrifying novel submission by Michelle Huilebeck. I will spell it because I can't pronounce it. H-O-U-E-L-L-E-B-E-C-Q. It really is a brilliant novel. We will finish with one more thing that I like, which is this. There was, there was a movie called The Long Goodbye, 1973. Raymond Chandler is basically the writer who turned me into a novelist. I mean, I, I loved Raymond Chandler. And he's 
books have been made into movies again and again, The Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, but The Long Goodbye was made by Robert Altman. The Long Goodbye was, when I was a little kid, was my favorite Raymond Chandler novel. And what Altman did is he took the tough guy private eye and he moved him up into Hollywood in the 70s. So he's kind of like this, I, I don't know the words to use, dissolute character. He talks to himself. He kind of wanders around muttering to himself through the whole time. And as a joke... In this film, he wrote a song. You know how in those old noir movies, if you've ever seen old 50s movies, there's always a song, a love song or something, and it's always playing no matter where they go. You know, and they keep playing. So he has this song. It plays throughout the movie, and he'll turn on the radio, and it's on the radio. He'll walk into a club. It's on the club. He'll be in the shopping in the supermarket, and it'll be the music coming up. So it's kind of this running gag. But the thing is, the guys he got to write the song were John Williams, one of the great composers of movies ever, and Johnny Mercer, one of the greatest songwriters, he wrote the lyrics. And so the song, The Long Goodbye, is actually terrific. And so we will say The Long Goodbye. Another Kingdom will be released on Ricochet tomorrow, God willing. So the Clavenless Weekend will not quite begin, but then it will come, and it will come with a vengeance. So survivors, gather here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show, and we'll see you then. There's a long goodbye it happens every day when some passerby invites your eye to come her way even as she smiles a quick hello you let her go you let the moment fly too late you turn your head you know you said the long goodbye can you recognize the theme on some other street two people meet as in a dream running for a plane through the rain if the heart is quicker than the eye they could be lovers until they die Try.